Good morning, everyone. My name's Chris. I'm a pastoral intern here at Christ Community, and I'd like to welcome you once again. Glad we can all gather and worship the Lord together. Before we hear from God's word, we're gonna take a moment now uh, for some prayer. And this prayer time, just as a reminder, uh, we try to focus on three things as aspects of the kingdom of God. The kingdom outside these walls, the kingdom at work here inside these walls, and then the kingdom at work in our individual hearts. So we're gonna be praying for uh, the ministry of RUF, especially at KSU, seeing the kingdom at work there among college students in our community. Uh, we're gonna be praying for a potential church plant out of this church. It's a, the Lord has laid that on our hearts and we've been praying uh, and preparing for that in various ways. And then also as we hear from God's word that his kingdom would grow within us. So let's pray. Father God, we come before you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the reminder of your goodness every single day. We thank you that we can continue to gather together and give praise and glory to the many, many ways your goodness is at work in our lives. Lord, uh, we pray that we, the rest of the world would see the goodness of God as we see it. Lord, we think of our own community context and we think of Kennesaw State University and the ministry of RUF. We thank you for that work we thank you for college students in our midst, and we pray that you would be at work in their hearts and their lives, growing the kingdom of God there. Lord, we pray uh, for a potential church plan out of this church. Lord, we thank you uh, that you brought this community of believers together, and Lord, we would love to see your kingdom grow in that way. So Lord, we pray you give us wisdom uh, and bring just the right people along to lead that effort, Lord. And finally, we pray for ourselves, for our own hearts, as we prepare to hear from your word, Lord, that your kingdom would grow within us, Lord, that we would grow in our wonder and our awe at the gospel of Jesus, Lord, at our transformation in him, Lord, in our growth in righteousness and holiness for your glory and for our joy. Lord, we pray all this in your name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, please open to the book of Romans, chapter six, as we continue our series in the book of Romans today. Be in Romans 6, uh, verses 15 through 19. Romans 6, 15 through 19. And hear now the word of the Lord. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. This is the word of the Lord. Well, uh, happy new year all. I'm happy to be here. This is my first time uh, preaching in the new year. And so thinking of uh, New Year's uh, resolutions, I want to start with this question as we get into our text today. Uh, have you ever successfully seen a New Year's resolution through the entire year? 
Anyone? You don't have to raise a hand, I guess. Uh, yeah, not many of us. Uh, but my wife, who is a much stronger person than I am, has done this once. And I'm very proud of her. A few years back, she made the resolution, I'm going to floss every single day this year. Uh, and, you know, maybe some of you are laughing because you're like, that's easy. And others are like, that's a Herculean effort. Um, but she did it. Uh, very proud of her. She did it every single day. She flossed that year. Uh, and it was quite the accomplishment. Um, but, you know, while we can all recognize the benefits of flossing, we should all probably be flossing more. Uh, when we think of some of the bigger uh, thought patterns, behavior patterns in our life that we like to change, that seems like a minor, minor adjustment, right? What does it take to truly change? What does it take to change from a sinner into a saint? We see the Apostle Paul is wrestling with these same issues and speaking and writing to the church in Rome who are also wondering about these issues. What effect does our justification in Christ have on our life? Do we see real change or is it all just something we're waiting for in heaven? So to that point, our key truth that I'd like us to think about today as we go through the text is because Jesus has liberated us from the bondage of sin, we are free to eagerly pursue his righteousness in the process of our sanctification. Let me say that one more time. Because Jesus has liberated us from the bondage of sin, we are free to eagerly pursue his righteousness in the process of our sanctification. We're gonna be looking at that at two points. The first is remember who you are in Christ. And the second will be to eagerly pursue righteousness. So first up, let's look at remembering who we are in Christ. Looking back at the text, he starts with this question. We've seen a similar question like this earlier in chapter six. Paul says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? So he's, he's looking at kind of the, the implications of the gospel here. And he's imagining someone saying, okay, so Jesus He's taken all my sins. He's paid it all. I'm justified if I put my faith in him. Okay, so all the sins are paid for. So there's, you know, no consequences. I can just keep on sinning because I'm under grace. It sounds like a good deal, right? I like that. No fault. Okay, great. And yet Paul unequivocally says, by no means. No, this is not, right, a correct implication of the gospel. This is not uh, where our minds should go when we hear of the grace of Jesus. He tells us that ultimately, look, uh, what you end up giving your life over to, what you end up letting form your identity, what you end up obeying ends up becoming your master. And he uses strong language. He refers to it as slavery. He says, ultimately, if you go back to sin, you're submitting yourself as a slave to sin. And, you know, okay, historians, you know, we talk a lot about the different nuances of slavery, different times in history, but across the board, throughout all periods of history, no one wanted to be a slave. It was always something that was looked down on. And so Paul is really trying to get at the root of someone who's making this argument saying, man, if you follow that thinking, you're becoming the thing that no one wants to be. You're becoming an utter slave. And that is not something that Jesus wants for you. He's calling them ultimately to a different understanding of what Christ has done. 
right? He's saying uh, the grace that we've received in Jesus is not a license or a stamp of approval for your sin. No, he's saying if you think that way, you're thinking only of the benefits of Christ and you're missing the most important aspect, the relationship with Christ. Saying you're thinking of it, uh, you know, no offense to any lawyers, but in a very lawyerly way, uh, that, you know, okay, well, maybe if I can parse out these few words, you know, we can just focus on what we can get out of this deal without having to give anything up. And Paul is saying, no, 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 what Jesus has done is, yes, to set you free for the bonds of sin, but then also to call you in to a relationship that will utterly change your identity, who you are on the inside out. He's saying, right, this is ultimately a slave mentality to go back to what you were once, uh, what you were once controlled by in every single way. You know, uh, this isn't on the slide or anything, but Martin Luther famously said, when it comes to the gospel, it's like we're always kind of failing in two different ways. We seem to be falling off the horse, either towards uh, like libertinism, thinking we can just get away with all the sin we want because of grace, or we're falling off it the other way, right? Running back to legalism, saying we've got to obey to make our relationship right. And we're gonna see that Paul is, is uh, you know, threading the needle here really well in our understanding of grace. That no, it's not running off to sin as much as you want, right? But he'll also go on to say that no, no, it's not also pure legalism, right? That we really is a precious gift, this treasure we have in Christ. And so he goes on, verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So he's saying, look, your identity should ultimately be transformed by your faith in Jesus, right? And you know, the perfect example of this uh, is Israel coming out of slavery in Egypt. They were once slaves to Pharaoh uh, who loved to work them to death, right? Building monuments to his own uh, glory and all that. And yet God came along and set them free from this bondage and saying, you are now my people. You are now no longer slaves, right? You are my children. I'm gonna make a nation out of you. I'm gonna bless you. My name will be upon you. That this uh, transformation of our identity goes all the way back to the Old Testament and testifies to what Jesus will do in the greatest way. And so not just thinking about Israel, but thinking about ourselves, let's ask this question as we consider our own identity. When you think about your spiritual state, do you usually look at yourself as someone who has been set free from sin or as someone who is still enslaved to sin? You know, uh, <laughs> it's sometimes easy to uh, make it sound easy, right? Uh, to, to obey God sometimes can, we can make it almost seem like this cakewalk, and yet at times we've all experienced that sense of, I still feel so tempted. I still feel so enslaved. Almost as if uh, sla the, the slavery of sin had left scars on your hands, the, the shackles, and every time you touch them, it reminds you of its former power in your life. Sin has this uh, almost grand effect on us. If you remember back in uh, December, before December, when we were in Romans 5, 
right? Paul, right before this chapter, is talking about, yeah, our legacy of sin goes all the way back to Adam. Like, no wonder, you know, in our own lifetimes, we still struggle with its effects. Why would we think it, we would get over it so quickly? I mean, we're still struggling with the effects of slavery just in the United States and that whole history. You know, we're not even over that completely. Why would we think we would be over the legacy of sin in the world going back thousands of years to Adam? And yet, right, Paul is telling us something important, that uh, that should not give us a sense of hopelessness. That should not drive us to despair. I mean, think about it. Satan would love that. He would love for you to feel so defeated in that legacy of slavery that you feel like you can never get over it. And he loves us to convince ourselves that our struggles are too terrible to share with anyone, too, too massive that anyone would understand, that people would be embarrassed by us. You know, I recently uh, was having some struggles with depression and things like that. And I'll be honest, I was, I was afraid to tell anyone. It was really hard to, to admit that. And my thought was, well, if I tell people, like, they're gonna kind of laugh that uh, I, I'm struggling over these issues. And yet, God in his goodness sent really good friends who were saying, brother, I'm so sorry. You know, let me encourage you. Don't be afraid to, to reach out and share. Right, that this is, this is the voice of the enemy, constantly convincing us that we should feel defeated. Right, that's, the, that's Pharaoh in Egypt, right, saying, you're a slave, you'll always be slaves, your children are slaves, and the only good you can do is just to submit yourself back to slavery. You know, if you just give in to it, then you wouldn't feel bad anymore. And yet Paul is saying, no, 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 Jesus has come to break the bonds of slavery, to set free the captives. This is Jesus' first sermon, right? Luke chapter four, I've come to liberate the captives and set them free. The day of Jubilee, the day where we make debts right, where all things are redeemed. That this is what Paul ultimately gets at here when he says in verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have now become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Paul is saying, your master is no longer Pharaoh. Your master is no longer Satan. Your master is no longer your own sin. Jesus Christ has become your Lord and master. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might be free. Right? Jesus himself was bound and taken to the cross as a criminal. He was whipped and he was ultimately crucified in our place so that we could be set free. And uh, just in case the language here of Paul saying, uh, you know, we become slaves of righteousness is a little unsettling, uh, he follows that immediately in verse 19 by saying, I'm speaking in human terms uh, because of your natural limitations, right? He's trying to use this as an analogy to help us understand our change of status. But I like that he's even admitting there that, hey, our relationship to Jesus, even though I'm using the term slave, it does, that word doesn't fully encompass right, what it really means. Better to go back to Matthew 11 when Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come and bring your burdens to me. Saying, yes, I wanna be the master and Lord of your life, but I'm not a cruel master like Pharaoh. I won't, 
constantly remind you of your failures. No, I want you to see that all of your failures and struggles are swallowed up in the grace of God, that you truly do have a new identity in him. I love this quote uh, from Blanton and Gordon. This is from a Romans study that I know some of the women in our church did a while back. That's really wonderful. They said this, our new master, Christ himself, tells us through Paul in these verses to be who we are or to act out our true identity. We are prone to forget who we are. Like freed slaves who still tremble at the thought of being sold when they see their former master approach, though he no longer has any power over them, we forget about our freedom. And so Jesus reminds us through many different authors and voices and situations and stories in the world that our former life of slavery is over. We are now his. Amen, that that is true. And so uh, this question isn't on the slide, but uh, I think this would be really helpful for you to do today in this Lord's Day. How has God reminded you recently of your new identity in Christ? You know, thinking about that last line of that quote, right? He's given us so many authors and voices and situations and stories to remind us that our slavery is over. How is God reminding you of that today? How is God reminding you that yes, your past is one of sin, that yes, there are still struggles in this fallen world, but your identity has been changed to be who you are today? You know, being on staff here, I really get to see behind the scenes how thoughtful a lot of our staff members are and what we put into our liturgy each week. That we really do want to be, even if this is the only opportunity all week, you get to hear from God's word. Uh, whatever busyness you may be facing, hey, we're all at different places in life. But if this, this is the only opportunity you get to hear from God's word, we want the message to be, yes, we are sinners, but Jesus has taken that up and given us a new identity in him. Right? This is why we have a confession of sin, but then an assurance of pardon, an assurance that it has all been taken up. So Paul writes, says, you have been transformed. You are no longer slaves of sin. You are now slaves of righteousness in Christ. And he's saying what really makes the difference there uh, is that we have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which we were committed, verse 17. Now, uh, doing a little word study on that verse, uh, it was really interesting that the word like standard of teaching, that image there is almost like a mold or a, like a shaping of something. So imagine, um, I don't know, anyone make cookies this past December? You know, Christmas uh, stars or Christmas trees. I did that with Genesis. They kind of came out looking more like a blob. But, uh, you know, you try to fit them in the mold and then bake them and they come out and they're cute. Well, in the same way, he's saying, we are, it's like our own hearts are being molded and shaped in Christ Jesus. We're being transformed from the inside out. And that's why it's not just behavior modification, but heart transformation in the gospel. That that's what Jesus is doing. He's molding and shaping us through his word, through the communion of the saints, through, through worship every week, right? This is why we need to constantly hear those voices and be reminded of what God has done for us. This is why in this series, especially in this chapter, we've emphasized baptism, right? And the phrase, improving upon your baptism, you know, Martin Luther, once again, uh, famously, when he was tempted, would say to himself, I am a baptized one. Satan, you have no power over me, right? To just to tell him, hey, I have been transformed in Jesus. There is something different about my life, 
right? Admitting that he struggles, yes, but reminding himself in the gospel of who he now is because of Jesus. I couldn't help but think of Psalm chapter one, right? Telling us, hey, the truly blessed life is to meditate on God's word and to delight in his word, right? When Paul says we are now slaves or servants of righteousness, it's it's not a miserable service. No, it's something to meditate on and delight in every single day. So, thinking about how our identity has been transformed, let's think a little bit more, uh, maybe say on the practical side, the lived out side. And my second point, to eagerly pursue what leads to righteousness. And let me ask this question as we get into it. How do people who have been justified by grace through faith mortify our sin? That's a phrase we've used a lot in this series, to mortify sin, to put it to death. Another famous theologian, sorry, I'm quoting a lot today, I know. But uh, another famous theologian said, you know, if you're not killing sin, sin is killing you. It shows how seriously we need to take it, right, in living out this new identity. And so, how do we mortify sin? Well, Paul reminds us here, right, uh, to not present our members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, but present our members as slaves to righteousness, as this is what leads to ultimate sanctification, right? So what he's saying is there's a putting off, a putting to death, a putting away of the past and of those sins, a fleeing from it, but it doesn't just end there. It's not just, I gotta avoid sin at all costs. It's constantly dogging me and it's all I ever think about. He's saying, no, no, it's also a, a taking on of a new identity. It's a taking on of the things of righteousness, to eagerly pursue the things of God, right? Now that you are a free person, pursue the life of a free person. Don't run back to the things of slavery. Once again, thinking about Israel in the Old Testament, you know, you read some of those passages in Exodus where they, they're finally out of their slavery and then like one thing goes wrong and they're like, oh, it was so much better back in Egypt, you know, when they like whipped us. And it's like, you, you wanna tear your hair out when you read it, And then you kind of realize, oh, I I tend to do the same thing, don't I, right? And in my weaker moments, I think, oh, you know, man, remember before I was a Christian? I don't know, we think back in a a wrong way. So Paul is saying we need to lay that aside and we need to eagerly pursue, right, what leads to ultimate life. Or as uh, one person uh, said, it's like, don't, don't keep showing up to your old job, you know? It's like, If we had to translate Paul here into modern language, Paul is saying, you got a new job now in Jesus, but you keep acting like you got that old job. You keep going back to that old boss, listening to him and obeying his orders, but you don't have that job anymore. You've got a new boss, you've got a new job, you've got a better job in Jesus Christ in every single way, right? So go and and obey that boss and do that job and live that life. I love Charles Spurgeon and the way he sums it up here. He says, as you submitted yourselves to sin most cheerfully and voluntarily, and yet were slaves under it, so now come and be slaves under Christ with most blessed cheerfulness and delight. Endeavor now to lose your very wills in his, for no man's slavery is so complete as his who even yields his will. Now, yield everything to Christ. You shall never be so free as when you do that never so blessedly delivered from all bondage as when you absolutely 
and completely yield yourselves up to the power and supremacy of your Lord. Paul is trying to tell us that, look, the goal of the spirit-sanctifying work here is not to torture us with more uh, rules or laws. No, it's to draw us into a greater relationship with Christ. And as we're drawn into that, we see our heart transformed, our desires are transformed. We will desire more and more the things of righteousness, the things of God, right? I mean, think about uh, you know, a time recently where you were tempted to sin and you actually said no, <laughs> and you were able to resist, right? Like, that's a joyful thing to, to have that experience, to say, yeah, like, I, I can remember a time where I couldn't say no, and now I can. Like, God really is at work in people's lives. The Spirit really is changing our desires. That yes, at times we kind of go back and forth in this now but not yet world, right? We know that God is at work in our lives. Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to transform our desires so that we would eagerly pursue the righteous things of God. Uh, as we're about to wrap up, I was recently thinking about this in context of the sermon and thinking about a movie I watched during like kind of the medieval times, you know, with lords and knights and all that. And, uh, you know, it's like God sometimes drops an illustration on your lap. So like there's a, you know, lord of a castle and these knights are coming and they're, they're, uh, they're like pledging their loyalty to the lord. And when, every time they get down on their knees and they'd say, you know, I am your man and my life is yours and your will is now my will. And I thought, oh man, like that's kind of a picture of what Paul is describing here. That we have this new master that we are submitting ourselves to and we're saying, hey, like your desires, King Jesus, are my desires. Your will is my will. Your kingdom, I am now a part of it and I'm a servant of it. And I wanna see your good will done in your kingdom. That, you know, to follow the illustration a little further, it's like we are now the, the knights of King Jesus's kingdom here in this world. That we are pursuing, right, his good will all around us. That we desire what he desires in and of us. And so, right, as we pursue what Jesus wants in the world, right, he is ultimately changing our desires. And the last thing I want us to think about is how uh, this always happens in the context of community, right? That sanctification is a work of the Holy Spirit that takes place in the context of us together, not just individually. Because at times, right, we need to be called out in the ways that we still submit ourselves to sin too easily, right? We need to be called out in the ways that we fall short of what we confess. And yet, we also need to be restored in community, to be reminded, hey, in Christ, you're no longer that person, right? In Christ, there is grace to cover over your sins, to call you back to new obedience, right? That Paul is writing this to a church community, say you need one another in the process. You need one another to spur one another on in pursuing righteousness. That ultimately, we are being spurred towards our new and our better master, Jesus Christ. So we see that Romans 6, 15 through 19 teaches us that we have been liberated from the slavery of sin through Christ and that we should eagerly pursue the righteousness of God which leads to our sanctification. Amen.
Let's pray. Father God, we thank you once again for your word and uh, for the many ways that it speaks into our story and into our lives, the ways that we have been transformed and the ways that you are in process of transforming us. Lord, we admit we get impatient with that and we want it all now, but Lord, we know that you are leading us right in sanctification and ultimately leading us uh, to the new heavens and the new earth when all things will be made righteous and good and true and beautiful once again. Lord, thank you for the community of the church and the ways we can encourage each other in this. We thank you for your Holy Spirit at work in our heart. We pray this in your name, amen.